May I just share three things quickly as I can, too, with you about this, this particular man? First of all, according to God's word, he thought wrong. He thought that all the earthly possessions were his. Remember, he said, my fruit, my barns, my goods. And God says, you're a fool. How many times I have to stop myself when things seem like they're a little bit pressuring me and back off and say, wait a minute. Why am I getting anxious about this situation? Why am I getting upset over this situation? These are not my things. Lord, I just give them back to you and tell you whatever you want to do with them, I'll thank you for them because they're not mine to begin with. If, they, if I don't own them and they don't belong to me, how can I lose them? Some people that are so concerned that their bank account might go down or their savings account might be gone or their home might not be paid for, well, if it's yours, then you have reason to worry. But if it's the Lord, God will take care of his own. God will take care of his own materials and his own supplies, and he says he'll supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And this man thought wrong. He thought that success was measured by the abundance of things which he possessed. You ever seen that before? Where some people think that success is determined by the size of our bank account. Some of the most successful people I have ever seen don't have a bank account. I mean that. Success is not based upon having... I have been in some of the finest homes in, with some of the, quote, richest families and found them to be miserable and empty. What we possess... Now, I realize that it would be a great feeling if you just knew every week that the money was there to pay the bills and you could just write a check and it would be covered without having to pray and say, Lord, where's that money? I really am trusting you for it. You know, I realize that would be a tremendous relief. But what a blessing it is to know that you and I every day can trust in the eternal God to be our source and meet our needs. Some people have never had to trust God for any material thing, and they're the ones that are the losers. Think about it. Some people never even think about a bill for a moment. They never have to trust God for anything, and consequently, they find they don't need God. I'm so thankful that the Lord has brought me to the place where every moment of every day I have to say, Lord, I need you. Without you, I'm bankrupt. Luke 12, 15, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. People who are wealthy today are highly esteemed and held up, and people just stand in awe of them. You know, God says only a few of them, not many of them, are even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. He said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But with God, all things are possible. Now, why is that? It isn't because God is against riches, but it's because a man who has many, has many things of earthly possessions, has a lot of wealth, tends not to have to depend on God, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Secondly, he lived wrong. He lived a life of accumulation. He lived wrongly. He became a reservoir. I'm sure that this man, as we read about him there, he says, what am I going to do now? My barns are too small and everything. I'm going to build bigger barns. He was always talking about assets and liabilities and profits and losses. I'll build greater barns. That's what I'll do. So thou hast much good laid up 
for many years. Now he became presumptuous. You have many goods laid up for many years. Who told him he had many years? I don't know if you know this or not, but God is the one that gives breath and life. And he can withdraw that at any moment that he wants to. And I don't care whether I have a, a savings account in my billfold that's worth $5 million or $500 million or only have five cents in my pocket. God can pull that cord any time he wants to and we fly away. As the grass appeareth for a moment and then suddenly the sun comes out and it withereth, so are we. Job said life is short and full of trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, let me just emphasize this again. I'm not talking about it being wrong to gain. But I'm saying it's wrong to gain and say that that gain is mine. Rather than to lay it out before the Lord and say, I am simply your servant and you've given me talents and I've multiplied these talents. Now, what would you have me to do with these talents? I want to be a channel. I don't want to be a reservoir. You see the difference? All the way through the scriptures, I see that God blessed the Old Testament saints with many, many material blessings. But they never declared that they were theirs. They were just simply being used as vessels of God. And God is looking for those that will be channels today and not reservoirs. Where our, all of our affections are set on things above. So what if I have a big house? So what if I have a swimming pool? So what if I have a boat? So what if I have... These are blessings from God and I must use them as blessings from God to bless others. He thought wrong, he lived wrong, and he died wrong. Third. The scripture says he died a fool. Every time you read the book of Luke, you remember that man because God said that you're to remember this parable that anybody that lives like that is a fool. God said, thou fool. He lived a covetous life. His affections were on things of the earth. I have many years. I'm going to store up all of my things. And God says, now you own nothing. He that keepeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall find it. That doesn't sound logical, does it? And yet it does when you look at life. When you look around, you and see people who are accumulating and accumulating and filling their garages and filling their houses and filling everything up, and then suddenly they're gone, and other people have to come in and start pulling all that stuff out. I saw recently where a man on television had something like two or 3,000 chairs. He would go out and find another metal shed and he'd set it up on his property and he'd go out and find more chairs and stuff them in there. And he said, I, if I worked the rest of my life, I, I couldn't even put all these chairs back together, old antique chairs. Every type of chair you can think of. And he just keeps cluttering and jamming and packing them in. And he was there trying to force another one way up above the door of this little shed and fill in the clip of the roof, you see. And, and I thought to myself, isn't that exciting? That man's affections are on those chairs. And one of these days, the silver cord's going to snap and he's going to fly away. And somebody's going to come around and pull all those old chairs out of there and say, now we're going to do it. And he is left with nothing. How many years are we supposed to be promised by God? About 70, aren't we? Now, some will live to 80, some will live to 90, a few 100. How many of you know of anyone personally that lived over 100 years of age today? One, two, three, four, okay? Most of those out of one family, <laughs> all right? Not too many, are there? 
And yet we tend to forget that fact. I don't know of anyone that's living today that was living in the days of Jesus. Or even in the days of Charles and John Wesley to whom he preached. And we keep forgetting that it isn't this life. This isn't the necessary part. I'm 40 some years of age now. You thought I was going to tell you, didn't you? I know that before long down the road that either Jesus is coming for me or the Lord's going to call me home. And it's ridiculous for me to sit here and pile and pile and pile and pile unless God has given me a definite purpose as to why he wants me to do that. One of these days that we're going to lay it all down and we're going to fly away. If it's 70 years that you have to live, you say, well, I'm only just a young person. It doesn't make any difference. Those years fly by. Do you know something? I just put that Christmas tree away. And my wife's already thinking about getting that Christmas tree out again. And this year, probably, the tinsel will still be laying on the floor of the garage before I have to pull it down again. I won't even have time to pick it up and put it back up there again. Years are just flying by so quickly. And we need to recognize that Scripture says it's like a vapor that appeareth for a moment and vanisheth away. What is really ours? What do you really owe? So many of us will go out and buy a brand new vehicle. We'll sit in that vehicle and say, wow! I can remember when I first went into ministry, we had an old car that was so beat up, it was a miracle. I, 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 it was a miracle that it would run most of the time. And another pastor friend was given a brand new car, and I thought, oh, what would it be like to own that car? Look at that car. Brand new, I think it was a Ford LTD. But wow, that guy, you know it wasn't too long ago that I was down at a car lot and I saw an old junk heap over in the corner and I looked at it and I looked, I said, oh boy, <laughs> that's that car I wanted. It was just a pile of junk now. And the Lord reminded me that these things of earth are transitory. They're temporary. And we... People would say, boy, look at they have. You know, if everybody had a white Cadillac, what would it be of me getting a white Cadillac given to me? Can you imagine on Sunday morning me pulling up here and pulling my white Cadillac, Cadillac right up alongside of everybody else's white Cadillac? Everybody said, big deal, preach. You got one too now. Everybody's got one, you know. What's the motive for some of these things in the world? None of these things are going to last. Do you know what? Before long, that old Cadillac's going to start breaking down, fall apart, rusting, and all those things. Already got some rust spots on it. Got to go get some rust spots taken care of on the thing. Transitory. Temporary. No lasting purpose whatsoever. Job said in Job 1.21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Genesis 3.19, For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God's saying, Recognize my authority in your life and release your earthly affections and turn them toward God and realize that when we go from this world, we will own nothing, we'll possess nothing, we'll take nothing with us. And restore your affections to those things that will endure. How many times in my ministry I've had to go to a young man and say, look, I see him, you know, getting that itching around the heart, he can't scratch and he just can't stand it. All he can think about is her. And I'll say to him, let me ask you something. What if God takes her away from you? Oh, he wouldn't do that. What if he would? Oh, I don't know that I can live. Then I said, you got her in the wrong place. And so many times I just see them turn me off like that. 
I say to that young lady, what would you do if God took him out of your life? Oh, he wouldn't do that, would he? Oh, I love him so much. I said, I'm not saying God's going to do it, but you ought to be in the position that if he does, you can still go on because your affections are not based upon, your happiness is not based upon, your future is not based upon that relationship, but rather it's based upon your relationship to Jesus Christ. And if he brought that person into your life, you'll be happy. If he takes that person out, you can say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's peace and there's joy and there's happiness. If God has given you a material blessing, what would you do if tomorrow he took it away? Don't say he won't. He did it to Job. Get your affections on things above. Take your affections off of things down below. And then you'll be able to be established in the things of God. Paul says, I have learned to be exalted. I have learned to be abased. And I have found in all the circumstances to be content. Therefore, uh, now I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Let me tell you something. Until we come to that place, we can't do what God wants us to do in the way God wants us to do it until we set our affections on things above only. I love my wife more than I can describe to you. But my affections are set on things above. And my relationship with her is based upon my affections that are set on things above. I know that someday the Lord's going to call her or me home. When that day comes, I have to realize that God never makes a mistake. And that that is not my basis of serving the Lord because I have her or that she has me. Our basis of serving the Lord is because he is Lord. He is Master. I have seen more widows and widowers who have just given up when a loved one is taken home, their partner is taken home. And I've had to go to them and say, God never makes a mistake. If he's left you here, he has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has a life for you. Set your affections back on him. Do you know Howard Hughes? Have any of you heard of Howard Hughes? Now you think about it for a moment, a very successful, a very brilliant man. Howard Hughes, I guess, invented more things. They just brought out this big old bird of his not too long as this big airplane that's been in this huge hangar. A multi-billionaire. Howard Hughes set his affections on things of the earth, and he thought of it night and day and night and day. He dwelt upon possessions until he evidently became a multi-billionaire. And right now, you know what's happening? All these people are trying to prove that somewhere down the line they're hanging on a thread of his, of his shirt tail as a relative. And so consequently, they can get in on the inheritance that's coming. But do you know how much Howard Hughes has today? He died as a, recul a recluse. They say that he was also al almost completely out of his mind. He had let his beard grow very, very long. He couldn't go out in public. He couldn't enjoy life. He couldn't be anywhere around because of fears. He became an outcast. And he died a fool. Today, men are fighting for all of his estate. <laughs> He went out naked, he went out penniless, he went out powerless. When Howard Hughes stands before God, he won't have anything more than you and I have. He won't be able to call for his attorney. He won't be able to draw any money out of his account to pay off anyone that needs to be paid off. And yet if you were to have talked to him a few years ago, he'd have said, I can do anything I want to do, just name it and I can pay for it. But he failed to recognize that he was to set his affections on things above. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Let me just contrast that picture for a moment. Here was a man, as far as the world was concerned, they said, what a success. What a fantastic life to follow after. I mean, isn't that the goal of everyone, to become a multi-billionaire? 
There was Dr. Paul Carlson, who had a very lucrative surgical practice out in Los Angeles, California, some years back. Dr. Paul knew Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior and had an opportunity one time with several other Christians to take a six-month short missionary trip over to the Congo in Africa. There he labored for six months with other missionaries and missionary doctors. And when he came back and went back to his lucrative practice, it was just like there was no interest there anymore. Everything was gone. It just seemed so empty. It seemed so useless. It seemed so unprofitable just to mend bodies that were going to break down again and just try to keep people going and make all this money and have all these fine things around him. And God began to deal with Dr. Paul Carlson's heart And he began to pray with his family about it, and finally he gave up his lucrative practice in Los Angeles, California, sold out all of his belongings, and he and his family moved over to the Congo, where he became a medical missionary in the Congo and was the only doctor in an 80-bed hospital. Men back here in the United States said, what a fool, he was one of the finest surgeons around. He was skilled beyond most men in his field. He could have named his price and become a millionaire and had everything he wanted and relaxed and taken it easy. Dr. Paul Carlson was the only doctor for a population of some 100,000 people. As a missionary, he didn't charge them for it, but he had opportunity to minister the gospel to thousands of Congolese people. And after several years, it was, of ministering in that way, the communist rebels came into that area and captured Dr. Paul with many other Christians. When he heard they were coming, he took his family across into the next country and came back and said, I'll stay there because I know of an escape route and I'll be able to get out in case it gets too bad, but there are too many people here that need me. And when the rebels came in, they blocked off that way out, and so Dr. Paul couldn't escape. And they put him into prison and they began to torture him and torment him, questioned him and made all sorts of charges against him. But when he would come out of that beating and go back into the uh, cells again, he was always comforting and having compassion on the others and trying to encourage the others to be brave and strong in the face of the opposition and the the persecution they went through. But the day finally came when they took Dr. Paul Carlson and he became a martyr for the sake of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life and his wife and family lost a, a father and a means of earthly support and leadership. And we look at the, these two examples, Howard Hughes and Dr. Paul Carlson. Looking at it as the world would look at it, they would say that Hughes was a tremendous success. His affections were on things of the earth. Dr. Paul Carlson, on the other hand, was a fool because he could no longer see the value of accumulating all these earthly possessions and began to set his affections on things above. And those in the world said, what a fool he was. What a waste of all that talent and all that ability that capability to make a living. And I simply want to ask you, who really succeeded? Howard Hughes or Dr. Paul Carlson? Who in God's sight was a true success? What is success? I think this is success. Matthew 25, 23. This is success. Matthew 25, 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That to me is success. 
it doesn't make any difference what the world thinks. The only thing we have to be concerned about was what will the Lord say in that day when we stand before him with those things that he's placed in our hands. Someone has said to find pleasure in the temporal at the cost of the spiritual is to lose all. To find pleasure in the temporal at the cost of the spiritual, that's the key, at the cost of the spiritual is to lose all. Someone else said to find the heavenly over the temporal is to gain both. For without the heavenly, the temporal is worthless. You say, what do you mean without the heavenly, the temporal is worthless? Scripture says, and lose your own soul. What shall the profit of a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You want to know how to know where your affections lie? Very quickly, where do our affections lie? You'll know when a deep concern comes in the temporal realm can I back off in the midst of it and say it is only temporal and my heart is not there? That's how you can know where your affections are. You can back off when it looks like there's going to be losses and say my heart is not there. You see, it's not wrong to prefer riches over poverty, but it is wrong to prefer riches over eternal values. It is wrong to prefer riches over being a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. And if in seeking out and, and searching for the temporal, we fail to allow the spiritual to become dominant, then our affections are not set on things above. The second one, when great temporal blessings come, do I sense more joy and excitement than in spiritual blessings? How many times do you think, oh boy, next month, next year, it's going to happen, it's going to take place? It's going to be a blessing. I can see it coming. My needs are going to be met. My bills are going to be paid. If I get more excited about that than I do things of the spiritual realm, then my affections are set in the wrong place. These are only temporary conveniences. So what if I'm taken care of for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, but if I allow that to disrupt my spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ and my affections are set in the wrong place, then my affections are set on earthly things and I'm going to lose everything. Quickly, the third one. Do I carefully guard my heart in such times of temporal blessings to see that those blessings do not injure or reduce my spiritual growth and commitment? How many of you have known of people who have struggled for years and years and years and then suddenly financial blessing comes to them and you've seen the spiritual die out and they've drifted away from the church? And they've drifted away from spiritual things. And they said, well, uh, I'm just too busy now. I haven't got time for these things now. Scripture tells us that we have to be careful of riches because, first of all, they can take up all of our time. And, and Jesus spoke of them as the thorns and thistles that will choke out the word. The fourth thing, very quickly. The fourth thing, when physical or material setbacks come, can I sense a strong, overbalancing consolation from above? When physical or material setbacks come, can I sense a strong, overbalancing consolation from above? When those setbacks come, can you stop and say, Look, Lord, I'm only going to be here for a while yet. Whatever it takes, I can endure to the end because I know that you're in control. And I know that Romans 8:28 is mine. All things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. I know also of a man by the name of Gil Okerstrom that lived up in Minnesota some years back that impressed me deeply. 
As a young man, I was ministering in his church, and I was talking to him and talking about raising money for the church. And as we got talking to him, I could tell that something had happened, and someone else had mentioned and chuckled about it. And I said, what's he talking about, Gil? He said, oh, nothing. The guy says, nothing. He said, this past week, that man right there made an investment, and, and this last week he's lost $400,000 cash in his investment. And I said, you've got to be kidding. And the guy said, no, he laughed. No, he said, it's true. It's, it happened. I said, how can you stand that? He said, what do you mean, how can I stand that? I kind of looked at him for a minute, and I said, well, it isn't an everyday happening. He says, no, maybe not be an everyday happening, but let me tell you something, it isn't mine in the first place. God gave it to me in the first place, and if he wants to take it away, that's up to him. Man, I could sit and get ulcers over this if I wanted to if I didn't know that it wasn't mine and it belonged to him, and I just thank him for it. What's $400,000? If he wanted to, he could give me $4 million tomorrow. So I thank him. He's got something for me to learn through that, and I thought, wow, that's it. That's where the peace of God that passes all understanding comes from. The next one. To which causes am I more willing to exert great sacrifices of time, money, and talents? Temporal or heavy causes? Just simply let me ask, what excites you? And you know, many times, and this is why I don't like to get into the gimmicks that sometimes they have in churches, where if you'll bring so many to church next Sunday, you'll get such and such a prize. I think that we're getting our motivations out of line. I can still remember in some youth programs we used to have, we'd, we'd give them for each person they'd bring to get on the bus the next day in Bible school. If they brought one, they got one candy bar. If they brought two, they get two candy bars. And some kids would go home with six candy bars in their hands. Woo! You know? And if I'd ever say to them, look, no candy bars tomorrow, but bring who you could. No kids. I thought, where's our motivation? What is it that drives a man seven days a week, 18 hours a day? Is it the temporal or is it the spiritual? That determines where our affections lie right now. Some people will do everything they can to be popular with men and not God. When I see my temporal pursuits interfering within the essential heavenly pursuits, do I quickly adjust and reinforce my efforts on the heavenly? When I begin to see things and opportunities taking me away from being all that God wants me to be spiritually, Am I quick to adjust my pattern and my schedule to say I will not let that destroy that relationship that I have with Jesus Christ? If we allow the temporal to overwhelm us without adjusting, then we're beginning to set our affections on things of earth and not on things above. And we forget the fact that we're only going to be here 70, 80 years. And then we spend eternity just a, a vapor that appears for a moment. Number seven. Are heavenly things dearer to me now than in earlier days? I thank God for having known many, many elderly Christians that have said to me, things of earth just don't have any meaning to me anymore, Pastor Joe. Anytime the Lord wants to call me home, I just want to serve him as best I can until that day. And I thought, Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get that vision when we're young people? That... I don't have any more concern and care for the things of this earth than a dead man does, only in relationship to the kingdom of God. And you see, I believe God wants to make multimillionaires out of Christians. But he wants to make multimillionaires who will be totally committed to the cause of heavenly things. Not allowing those things to overwhelm them and to keep them so busy that they'll choke out spiritual truth. Channels that God can use. Are heavenly things dearer to me now than in earlier years? 
In the book of Revelation, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, he told them all the wonderful things about them, but then he said, I have one thing against you, and that is that you've left your first love. And I wonder if we really have the same love for Jesus Christ we had today as we did the night we were saved, the night that we repented of our sins. I know something that he became my magnificent obsession at that time, and I wonder if he is still our magnificent obsession. Not everything else evolved or revolved around Jesus Christ. And is that still true in our lives today? Jesus Christ speaking through John there to the book of the church of Ephesus, he said three things to them. First of all, he said, Remember from whence thou hast fallen. Do you remember where you once were? You've lost your first love. Do you remember that first love? Remember. And then he said, Repent. And then he said, Return. And do the former work. Because this old life is flying past. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed and go into the presence of the Lord. And that's why my affections must be set on things above and not on things of the earth. I thank God that the Lord wants us to be successful. I thank God that the Lord is looking for men that He can use as channels for Him. And there's nothing that excites me more than to see Christians succeed. To see Christians be recognized and respected by those that are in the world that know not Jesus Christ but not because they own possessions, but because possessions do not own them. Not because they have a large business, but because that business is being used to exalt Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is what's going to take for the world to be able to see that Christians are different from others. Now let me tell you something. Chances are there will be very few in most bodies that are going to be that successful because Jesus said there aren't going to be very many that can be rich and be committed to him. But I hope that you can make this the conviction of your life that my affections personally are going to be set on things above and if God dumps billions into my pocket, they're going to go into a pipe and they're going to be ministered out because I've learned that God's economy is this. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. But the minute you stop giving, God stops giving. And when you begin to learn that truth and let it flow, God says, now there's a man I can bless. There's a man that through whom I can be a blessing to all those around him because his affections are not set upon things of the earth but on things above. Where are your affections this morning? Where are your affections concerning your husband or your wife or your children, your home, your checking account, your savings account, your business? What scares you the most if you were to lose it? Is it your relationship to Jesus Christ being what you know it ought to be? What shall it profit you and me if we gain the whole world? Now, you know something. Most of us don't own a nub on this earth. But Jesus said, go ahead. If you want to try, if you gain the whole world, if you owned everything, you're going to die and leave it all behind. So learn the simple principle that these things are here. They're temporary. They're passing away. But you're eternal. He said, don't build it up here, but store it away in heaven where rust and corrosion and thieves can't break through and steal. Set your affections on things above because that's eternal. And as you do that, he says to the degree that you're faithful to him that hath 
little and is faithful that little, I'll give more and I'll give more. But to him that doesn't use that which I've given him, I'll take it away from him. Many times there's one that has a very little that hangs on to so tight and says, Lord, I was just afraid I might lose it. And I knew you'd given it to me. And he says, release it to me. Release it and I can give you more. Use it and I can bless you more. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And I want to bless you if you'll set your affections on things above. Will you release those affections from these earthly temporal things? Don't make the most exciting thing, young people in the world, for you to have is, you know, uh, a four, four on the floor or whatever all this stuff is. That car or those clothes or those exciting possessions that you think are so great, that big stereo, they're nothing. You know, if I would have wanted that, uh, the best stereo in my day today, you would have laughed at it. Set your affections on things above and not on the earth. Would you bow your head with me? Father, these convictions are so essential for us today that it's just impossible. Physically, it just seems impossible for me to get this truth across as I ought to get it across. Spirit of the living God, I ask you to speak to each heart that's here this morning and even to those that might be listening to this tape later on to realize that millions and millions of people have gone through this life and have accumulated and gathered and stacked up and piled up and hoarded things only to release it and fly away with nothing. But you said that we can be rich in eternal things by setting our affections on things above. Since we're risen with Christ, that's where we're going to live anyway. There's no sense in us putting those things here, Father. And I ask in Jesus' name that you'll cause us to begin to let them go. Maybe we've just made a an idol out of that little savings account. Consequently, God's work isn't being done the way you'd want it to be done. Maybe we're making an idol out of a piece of property that's sitting over here. I don't know what it is, Lord. You know. But I ask today that we'll release it to you and know that if we'll be obedient to you, whatever you tell us to do with these things, that in the days ahead you'll be able to multiply it back to us more and more and more. Even Job got back double everything that he had lost and was blessed more greatly than ever before. I just ask that this will become a conviction of every home in this church, that our homes will not be ours, they'll be the Lord's, that our families will not be ours, they'll be the Lord's, that we'll release our children if they want to go away to college or go away to be missionaries or wherever they go. They're not ours, they're yours. It will be, let them be obedient to you and pray for them and just believe that you're going to cause them to come back and bear fruit bring that fruit back to us and we'll rejoice with it. Bless this truth to our hearts and our spirits. In Jesus' name we ask it and for his sake.